Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. I've been covering Cardinals camp in Jupiter for a week now. There's so much to update and so little time to do it. So let's get into it coming up on B-Shape Daily. What's going on, everyone? And welcome in to this edition of B-Shape Daily. Brendan Schaefer here with you on Wednesday, February 21st, 2024. I've spent a little more than a week now at Cardinals Camp in Jupiter, and we just haven't had enough podcasts yet. I'm trying to get it rolling for you guys. KMOV has to come first while I'm down here in Jupiter. I've written a story basically every day that I've been here. The latest on the KMOV website, firstalert4.com slash sports, or you could still go to KMOV.com slash sports. Thomas Sejazi wrote about the Cardinal prospect today, talked with him. Had a quote or two from Ollie Marmel from this morning. Interesting update on Sejaci. Cardinals maybe want to get a look at him playing some shortstop defensively in Grapefruit League play. Ollie Marmel saying they're pretty comfortable with him at second base. It's where he's played the most throughout his minor league career. Has played a little short, has played a little more third. They want to see him at those positions as well. And I think shortstop is the one that's most interesting with the way the Cardinals roster is constructed at present. So, We'll talk about that a little bit. I've got a, a a list of four things that I want to note and talk about in this podcast. And normally I don't have such organization, but I would like to try and get Cardinals fans updated on as many different aspects of the team as possible. And the four things that are occurring to me right now, I'll run through it off the top. We're going to rant about the uniforms a little bit because I've been putting that off. And now people are seeing just how bad the pants are for the new Nike uniform. So we're going to rant about that a little bit. We're going to get into the conversation revolving around where Zach Thompson and Matthew Libertor are right now heading into their starts on Saturday as they'll be the starters for the Cardinals in their two split squad games and kind of where we could see their trajectories going for the remainder of spring. I think it's an interesting conversation. I don't think it's black and white. I don't think it's open and shut as to what the roles could be for these two guys if they succeed versus if they don't. Like, it's kind of an interesting one. I don't think you can simply say, hey, whoever pitches best between Libby and Thompson, they get the role because we don't really know what the best role to have is unless we know the health of the rest of the rotation. So we'll talk about those two lefties and where they might fit in. We'll have a little bit of bullpen conversation as well. Talk about some relievers that are popping off the list right now because the Cardinals had like a bajillion guys, I think. That's the, uh, the appropriate term. Bajillion, I think, is how many threw live BPs on Wednesday. And how are we seeing some guys separate from the others? Again, without Grapefruit League games, it's kind of hard to be able to parse that out. 
Cardinals coaches and GMs and Pobos and all those folks are out there on the fields taking it all in. What's going to matter most is the performance in real games, but you can glean things from these and we'll try to talk about some of the guys that are making impressions so far. And we'll talk about the backup shortstop situation. As I alluded to a little bit, Thomas to JC, maybe he could factor into that at some point in 2024. And the comparison that I asked Ollie Marmel about when it comes to Thomas to JC, that Ollie Marmel didn't push back on. He didn't say, nope, you're an idiot. You're wrong. He said, yeah, I could see it. So we'll talk about all those things coming up today on B-Shape Daily. Appreciate you guys for listening. As always, subscribe to the channel. That's the main thing you can do when it comes to the YouTube. It's in the lower right-hand corner of your screen. Hit that subscribe button. You'll have all my Cardinals coverage on YouTube moving forward. But also, the, the other main thing, and really the main main thing that you can do is go to kmov.com sports and read all my Cardinal stories. And even if you want to comment on YouTube about the stories that you read, tell me what you want me to write next. Like, I want people to be getting content that they value and I want to be writing that content as somebody who covers the Cardinals as a writer on a regular basis so appreciate you guys as always for listening on YouTube make sure you're hitting up those articles and if you guys are enjoying the sights and sounds videos I've been posting some some raw video from Cardinals camp if you enjoy that there will be some more of that to come we think over the next few days Friday probably the last day where that's super duper relevant because Saturday there will be games and the big games on through the rest of the, uh, the the time here that I'll be in spring camp. And then, folks, we'll be to the regular season in Major League Baseball before you know it. So thank you guys so much for being here. And let's go ahead and jump in. The uniforms are bad. I mean, the uh, the tweet that I saw with a screenshot of Nolan Arenado in the uh, in one of the alternates, the, the, the ones with St. Louis on the front, and it was was pulled by uh, by Sarah Ann on Twitter from that Cardinal video that they posted. It's like a hype video. But then if you pause on the part where Nolan Arnado is in the uniform, and I, I think Sarah Ann's comment was pretty funny. It got like a million impressions on Twitter, so it must have been good. But what did she say? Uh, looks like a Halloween costume. Yeah, dude, they did Nolan dirty. And I know that Nolan Arnado had like the, the quote, I guess, in the press release, but he's a Nike guy. So like, I don't think you read too much into that. But he had the quote where he said, oh, they're the most comfortable things. And it's like, you know, going to ask Nolan if, he's, if he sleeps in the Nike Vapors because it seems like they were really using him as somebody in the press release to say, hey, these things are great. I haven't asked him about what he thinks about the uniforms. But most players seem to think that they're not so good. And the pants are translucent. Like, what the hell is going on? The pants are see-through? There's a tweet of Cal Raleigh, uh, the, the catcher for the Mariners, in his in his pant. And uh, you could, you could kind of see some stuff that maybe... You're not supposed to see outside of the bedroom. Like, I don't know what's going on, man. MLB's got a problem on their hands. They got to figure it out with these pants. And, and the uniforms are bad. The the shirt, like, it made Nolan Arenado look like a, like, kind of bulky and boxy. And Nolan Arenado's a fit dude. Like, they're not doing these guys any justice. But you know what? Fanatics and Nike have the agreement. And somebody's printing money over the whole deal. So I guess... It's just going to be what it is, but um, yeah, it's not good. I, I, nobody, there's nothing I could sit here and say that hasn't already been said on Twitter or social media about the uniforms. They're terrible. Um, I don't know, man. Like you, and I get to see them up close and personal every day in the Cardinals clubhouse and out there in the backfields. Uh, particularly heinous are the gray ones, honestly, in my opinion. And I know that the white ones are probably going to be the most problematic when it comes to the pants and the maybe see-through aspect of everything. 
but the gray, like, it doesn't even look gray. I don't know how to explain it. It looks like a, almost like a plastic, plasticized version of the color gray. And which, again, it's made from recycled plastic materials. So maybe that's what's happening here. But the thing that's most notable about the jerseys to me when you get up close to them, the back of them, the where the stitching is on the, the, the letter and number patches, it's bending the fabric in like a really bizarre way. Like it bunches it up in, in a way that makes it look, I mean, people have said DH gate, you know, it looks like a replica stadium giveaway. And I have seen these things up close and personal and hundred percent it does. I don't know if even some of the jerseys you would get from these knockoff websites overseas are as bad as what the Cardinal players and other MLB teams are going to be wearing this year. I mean, it is terrible. I don't need to spend much more time on this, but I, I did promise you guys a few days ago a rant on the uniforms, and so that's the best I can muster for now. Let me know in the comments, though, if you have other thoughts about the uniforms. Let's get into a little Cardinals talk. I don't know how long this podcast is going to go, but like I said, I'm trying to be a little organized because yesterday I didn't even get a B-Shape Daily recorded because I spend the whole day out in the backfields and then hang around in the clubhouse, finding who to talk to, writing an article, doing my radio show. And next thing you know, it's like, if I'm not going to stay up all night, I'm not getting all the stuff done. And so B-Shape Daily didn't happen yesterday. So nevertheless, I'm trying to get it done for you guys here. Libby and Thompson is next on my list to talk about. Madly Libertor, Zach Thompson, they'll be starting for the Cardinals on Saturday. One game is Roger Dean Stadium. The Cardinals will be serving as the home team, taking on the Miami Marlins. Of course, the, the two teams share the facility, but the Cardinals are the official home team for that one. And, uh, yeah, that was me taking a drink of water. And then the other game is in Port St. Lucie. Cardinals taking on the Mets. As of Wednesday, Ollie did not know who would start which game. I, I think it was Derek that asked the other day, like, is it going to be a competition to decide like who gets to stay in Jupiter and who has to go 50 minutes up the highway I-95 to Port St. Lucie, the windiest town on the face of the earth. And all they said, I'll probably just pick one. So I don't know if there's anything, uh, anything that could be done. Like typically these decisions would be made based on service time, but between Libby and Thompson, I guess Thompson's got a little bit more service time, but both have been kind of on the Memphis shuttle. So I have no idea what's going to happen and I really don't have a preference as to who I'd prefer to see. I'm going to stay in Jupiter because it's a more efficient way to spend my time. And so that's probably what I'm going to do rather than have to spend two hours on the road. I will be a little bit upset not to make it up to Clover Park this year because the Cardinals play there again on the 28th of February. And that's a game that I won't be able to get to uh, be able to. I'm not going to go to that game. I do like Clover Park, but Port St. Lucie. I have found to be the windiest city in North America. I guess I can't say the world because I've not ever been overseas or whatever, but it's really freaking windy in Port St. Lucie, Florida. Who do I want to see? I don't know. I think both guys are in a really similar spot, though. And what makes it really interesting is that the Cardinals have spent so much time focusing on talking about the starting five that they have. Like when asked about the pitching depth, John Mozeliak's redirect is, we like the five that we have starting. We do have depth. He said there's eight, nine, ten guys that could step in as depth. And then he said beyond the starting five, they feel there are eight, nine, ten guys that could be suitable in those roles, which I think is a little bit optimistic. Like, I could sit here off the top of my head and try and count them for you. Let's see how far we can get. And, and we'll be, like, favorable to the Cardinals to conceive that, like, any of these guys could start in 2024 under the right circumstances if they have a great spring 
and have a good minor league season, you could use him, and maybe it wouldn't be the end of the world. But like to say eight, nine, ten. Let's see if we get there. We'll start with Thompson and Libby because they're kind of in the, the the competition right now in the driver's seat to be that sixth starter. Which again, the moment that somebody is knocked off of schedule or somebody gets hurt in a more serious way in that starting five. This is one of your starters. That that competition to be the sixth starter suddenly is a competition to become the fifth starter, and that's a lot more relevant. Libby Thompson are two. Drew Rahm is three. Michael McGreevy, Gordon Graceffo are four or five. And I'm not necessarily ranking these in order, but I, I guess I kind of am based on last year's depth chart almost because Rahm was up and McGreevy and Graceffo weren't. But those are five. I'll give you Tink Hens. I'll give you Takoa Roby. I think those are the two guys that... Where they're at now, I like to make these comparisons. Where they're at right now, Takoa Roby, Tinkens, feels like kind of where McGreevy and Graceffo were a year ago. But McGreevy and Graceffo kind of stalled out in the minors. They didn't end up making that impression to where they would earn a big league debut. And again, part of that, as I've talked about, may have happened just simply because the team was out of the race and you didn't want to, for your prospects that you think are a little bit more, you know, protectable. You want to kind of not coddle guys, but you want to be careful with guys. You don't want to put them into losing situations. With all due respect to Drew Rahm, I feel like the Cardinals had just acquired the guy and they really needed somebody and it was kind of his turn. And so they said, screw it. Like he's, he's going to be thrilled to make a major league debut. Is he, does that reflect his spot on our organizational depth chart? Maybe not, but they felt like he was in a spot where they could use him and, see how it looked. And look, that was an opportunity for him. It, it, he didn't pitch all that well, but he certainly learned some things from it and and perhaps could factor in to 2024 as a result of what he learned last year. But I think we got up to seven with Hence and Takoa Roby. I'll give you eight, nine, Klothenstein and Sam Robertson, two guys that were also acquired at the deadline. That's eight, nine. Speaking of which, I saw Victor Santos uh, today for the first time pitch. He was not acquired at the deadline, but was acquired along with Nick Robertson in the Tyler O'Neill deal with Boston. Also saw Robertson pitch, could factor into the bullpen. But like that's nine starters that we've named behind the the the, the five that we know of. So I guess John Moselak was right to say, like, technically there's a bunch of dudes that it could be. And I'm sure there are names that I'm forgetting. You know, I think Connor Thomas is is he's not on the 40 man, but he's a guy that they're prepping as a starter, and we'll see what his role or opportunity looks like. So, like, there are options in terms of the depth, but the Cardinals really want to focus on the five guys that they went out and and made sure would be in that rotation. The only guy that I have not yet seen throw live BP, which is just basically pitching and trying to beat hitters who are trying to hit against you, just their teammates at this point. But the only guy I haven't seen do that, I think, is Steven Matz. Trying to think. I saw Sonny. Lance Lynn was today, and he was against the heavy hitters of the Cardinal lineup, and... You know, I put the video on YouTube. You can let me know what you think. But like Arenado's first at bat, he doesn't even swing. They're, they're kind of getting their timing down and things like that. Nothing super duper notable, but I guess that would be positive for Lynn because the only thing that I could say would be notable would be like a home run, and that didn't happen. I did see one live BP home run so far in the spring. I watched Gorman homer off Gallegos. No, I didn't get it on video, which I felt like a dummy for. You always get the ones where they didn't get back to the pitcher. You never get the ones that are that are parking lot bombs. That's just the way it seems to go down here sometimes. Like Lars Newbarth thunks a car with a home run and breaks a windshield or dents the car or whatever he did. And I 
Didn't get that one on video. Terrible. I don't know why you guys follow me. Okay. Where were we? We're talking about the situation with the Cardinals rotation and how they're hoping that they can keep their 33- to 36-year-old starters healthy, taking the ball 30-plus times. They don't have to dig into the depth. But the reason I think it makes sense to start Limitor and Thompson off the top of the spring training schedule is because the reality is you're probably going to need that depth and you need to figure out what to do with these two lefties. Last season, it didn't really matter the role for Zach Thompson. And I know it maybe doesn't even make sense to just look at the totality of his numbers and say, how do you do as a starter? How do you do as a reliever? He was basically low to mid fours in ERA in both roles. But it was kind of in fits and starts, right? He started the year as a reliever, came into camp last year being told he would be a reliever. And then all of a sudden when they optioned into Memphis, was dealing with some command issues in St. Louis, they optioned him saying, we're doing this because we want you to stretch out to be a starter. And if I'm Zach Thompson at that point, I'm like, well, shoot, guys, I could have done that all off season and had a little bit more elasticity in my arm if that was going to be the plan. But it is what it is. He comes back. He struggles in Memphis because he's adjusting first to the the uh, the ABS strike zone system down there, which is a lot, the way he has described it and others have described it, a lot different on the high strike. There basically isn't one in AAA. There is no high strike call that the pitchers are going to get, and it kind of changes the way you have to pitch down there, which is tough because you're probably trying to work on things that can help you out at the, the big league level where it actually matters, and you're having to just focus on, well, like, I, I got to get through these outings down here, and so that can maybe be a bit of a challenge. Perhaps we overstate some of that because at the end of the day, just be good at pitching and, and get guys out, but I, I do think those kind of psychological differences matter, and I can understand how players might be kind of, I don't think psyched out is the right word, but can be impacted by some of those things. But Zach Thompson then, of course, you know, gets some opportunity relieving and starting later on in the season. His numbers were largely the same regardless. Matthew Libertor, though, we remember the one great start from him in Tampa, but outside of that, he was really inconsistent as a starter. We didn't see his velocity maintained throughout five, six, seven innings most of the time that he started, and that was maybe part of the concern and and maybe part of the frustration with the Cardinals uh, when it comes to Libertor is like when he's on, he's a very dynamic arm. But why is it that sometimes you're losing four, five, six miles per hour on the fastball? What can you do to maintain that throughout an outing? If it's a mental hurdle, and like you can think back to Carlos Martinez, people thought, and I was one who I was probably even doing B-shaped dailies at the time. I can't remember how many years ago it's been since Carlos was gone. But I was outspoken saying, look, if he can start, and it's not an element of like, He's oversleeping his alarm clock on the days he's supposed to pitch, and so he's he's got maturity issues taking his job seriously. But, like, if he can start Carlos Martinez as a starter, getting 180 innings out of him rather than, than 55 innings in the bullpen, like, he's a good arm, and so if he can start, you want him to start because that is the best-case scenario for a pitcher, any pitcher, to make the most impact on his team. Starters are more important than relievers. The end. There's nothing else to be said. They pitch more. They have more of an opportunity to impact the game. Relievers matter a lot. You need eight good ones. But, it, you know, for guys who are still in the, the prime of their careers and have starting on the table as an option for them, that's typically going to be at least my preference as somebody who observes baseball. But ultimately, it sort of did become a, a, a mentality issue for Carlos Martinez to the extent that he's, like, out of Major League Baseball at this point. I think he's still pitching. I think he was 
pitching in uh, one of those Dominican winter leagues or one of those leagues I think he was pitching in. But it it just ultimately turned out to be, and again, I'm not comparing Carlos's kind of fall from grace to Matthew Libertor. Don't hear what I'm not saying. But I think it's interesting to point to that as an example and say maybe sometimes there are guys, even though I, I fought the the good fight and said, look, if Carlos can start, that's what the Cardinals should do. But sometimes maybe there are guys where their mentality, you're able to channel it more effectively in, in relief. And I, I begin to wonder if Matthew Libertor might be one of those kinds of guys because he's always talked about, I want that bulldog mentality. I want to attack hitters. I want to be in the zone and I want to, I want my stuff to play up, you know. But if maybe that's not his forte over five, six, seven innings because he feels like, even if it's like something unconscious, subconscious, he's got to hold something back so that he can conserve it for later. If that's the way that he is pitching and that's a mental hurdle for him, and I'm not saying that it is, I'm just I'm saying that the, these are maybe the questions the Cardinals need to be asking themselves. If that's the case, Matthew Libertor might be a freaking wipeout Andrew Miller-type reliever, and the Cardinals could consider using him as such. And when I say Andrew Miller, some people might go, oh, Andrew Miller wasn't, he was just okay with the Cardinals. You know, he was kind of a little bit after his prime when he was with the Cardinals, had some solid enough years. Andrew Miller, when he was in his prime, was unbelievable. And, you know, lanky left-hander, not to just, like, dive too much into the repertoires and, and see whether the comparisons match up, but, like, if Matthew Libertor can be that type of guy, and Andrew Miller was a converted starter as well, right? Early in his career, tried to start. If Matthew Libertor can be, you know, upper 90s, pick a couple pitches that work for you and and ride those into the sunset into a, a lengthy career as a stud reliever, Cardinals would take that at this point, I think. And I think it would also match really well with what they have in the rest of their bullpen. And we're going to talk about bullpen stuff too. Try to keep this under like 40 minutes tonight. But when we look at the Cardinal bullpen, the way it's kind of lining up right now, there are five guys that the spot is secure. And I think this is how the team views it as well. Helsley, Gallegos, Kittredge, Middleton, Jojo Romero. Those are the five. And then you've got three more spots. I feel like it makes sense to have both Thompson and Libertor on the big league team. It's tough to do that if there are no other injuries to the starters because if you use both Libertor and Thompson as relievers, now you've got three lefties. That means bad news for John King, who deserves an opportunity, 100%. If he pitches well in spring, the Cardinals, you know, need to be heavily considering John King because he pitched really well for the Cardinals last year. I feel like in the thought processes, though, he's just kind of, getting left out because we're paying more attention to these lefties that are in a battle for a starting spot. And it's a starting spot that doesn't actually exist until it does, which which complicates things. Polante is in another spot too, where it's like, yeah, he can get lefties out. He is a righty. I personally believe he has a lot of utility as a guy that can get you a ground ball out when you need it. And that can be a guy that pitches 80 times in a season because he might just be getting you one or two outs when he does come in. And it might be 80 appearances, you know, 60 innings. The other side of that, though, is Palante can be used in multi-inning stints because they they don't really have somebody that projects as a long reliever. So I feel like Palante is a really nice utility knife, and I would like to maybe see him get the opportunity, but I also understand that, you know, the, at least on paper, it kind of feels like you're capping the upside of your bullpen. But then again, Palante's been a guy who's, We've seen him up in the upper 90s before, right? We've seen him with, like, some nasty high-end stuff. So I don't want to pigeonhole him necessarily into a guy that, oh, yeah, he can get you a ground ball. 
But I think the utility of a player like him is still valuable. And I also think that he oftentimes last year, like the numbers weren't great, but he did his job pretty often in the balls found holes. You know, they needed ground balls out of him and he usually got it, but it at what cost is kind of how it felt because the the defense wasn't suitable to having these ground ball specialists because they didn't have their their infield defense wasn't playing that well. I think you're going to see a different Arnado this year. I think you're going to see Goldschmidt, you know, be really, really solid at first. I think Mason Wynn can be one of the better defensive shortstops in the league. And then maybe a little more consistency and continuity at second base rather than having to cycle guys through. I've talked ad nauseum about a topic that I don't think most people have touched on or had touched on at the time as much as I thought it was relevant to do so. When the Cardinals told Tommy Edmond he was going to be the shortstop every day, and then the moment Paul DeYoung's back, he hits a homer or like has a nice game or two, and they're like, okay, he's the shortstop, and Edmond, you're the one who has to move defensively. And Edmond would never make that excuse. He's a former Gold Glove second baseman. No reason he shouldn't be able to play the position. But I felt like they kind of yanked him around too much. I think the Cardinals would benefit from keeping a pretty steady double play combo with Mason Wynn at short for the most part. And then Donovan's your second baseman with Gorman playing second on the days that he doesn't DH. And that could mean, and again, like we're doing the math on this this roster and what the lineup could look like. The Cardinals keep saying they want Newt and left. Everything about Newt and left. How many games before Newt's playing center field? Because I could see a path toward it happening really quickly. Unless they're like steadfast in not doing it, it's probably going to happen. And then when that, when it happens, the floodgates are kind of open to have a, a lineup that sees a lot of Donovan in left and a lot of Newt Bar in center. What does that mean for Dylan Carlson? It means he's got to make an impression offensively. And look, people that listen to the, the show know I like Dylan Carlson. I'd love to see him succeed. I think it, the, he's going to have to hit. And that question was asked of Volley Marmel today in the way he answered it. And the question was basically like, what does Dylan have to do? And he said, we know that Dylan can play all outfield positions and play them well. And I think they do internally like him in center defensively. Now that the the weird O'Neill saga is not a thing anymore. What a time that was. But then all he said, he's going to have to be impactful offensively. He's going to have to drive the ball, whatever term he said. I, I hate to like pretend like I'm quoting the guy and then I don't remember exactly the term that he said. So I'm paraphrasing. So just be known that I don't remember the exact phrase. But he basically, yeah, he's got to impact the ball, I think is maybe what he said. Impact the baseball. And so that's going to be the challenge for Dylan. But, like, if the Cardinals, like, if they if they break the seal on moving Newt to center, it'll just feel like, well, we can do this all the time. And I think Newt's a good outfielder, but I also think the best version of the team defensively has him in left and has, you know, Carlson hitting well enough to play center on the days that Edmund doesn't. And Edmund, you know, is probably going to be asked to play some backup shortstop. But all of this is also assuming that Edmund's healthy. And uh, the the update is that I did, he threw the baseball today. They did infield drills. He was at the shortstop position and he threw the ball. Some throws with more like oomph than others. They're, they were doing double plays on, or just generally, I, I don't think double plays is the right word. They were doing like bunt coverage sort of drills which can occasionally turn into a double play. Edmund, the wheel play, you know, from shortstop, covered the bag at third, caught the ball, threw it over the first, but like on a hop, clearly not trying to let it eat on every single time he throws it at this point. But the fact that he is throwing is good. Haven't seen him take pick up a bat. Well, I mean, maybe he's picked up a bat, but he's not batting. He's not facing live pitching, certainly. 
and it could be a little bit of time before he does. And so that's also into the consideration of like, if center field is this opening because Edmonds not healthy, Carlson impacting the baseball, like only Marmel said, that could lead to Carlson getting opportunities in center. But if they don't feel super confident in that, in spring, you'll see a lot of Victor Scott, which I think is great. But if I, I don't know that he's got a window unless he just absolutely nukes camp and Edmund is hurt and Carlson struggles, like all those things happen, then maybe something crazy happens and we see Victor Scott. But I could also see like the easiest thing is, yeah, let's just move Newt back to center. And I don't think it's the best thing for the team, not because I don't think he's a good player, but I think his instinct and range is not quite to that level yet. Maybe he's worked on it in the offseason. He's going to be a star. But I think he's best suited in a corner spot. And knowing that Jordan Walker is working his tail off, but is not probably at that point to where we can say confidently that he's going to be a league average defensive outfielder and right this year, having a, a guy with range and center like Tommy Edmond, like Victor Scott, like I'm going to start talking a lot about Victor Scott and that'll make some of the, the folks who, who like the prospects real happy. If this guy hits in spring, like you're going to, those machinations could suddenly make more sense to, especially if there are some injuries that happen on the depth chart. And I know I've kind of devolved into what often happens where we're kind of stream of consciousness and not following the damn when I the the, the play sheet that I had for the, the podcast. But we are talking about some of the, the backup shortstop stuff. So let's go ahead and invoke the JC here too. It's like I never really did finish my conversation on Libertor and Thompson. It's basically the point is I don't think you can have both of them in the bullpen because I don't know if the McGreevies, Graceffos, Roms are ready to then be the sixth starter if you tell Libby and Thompson both that they're bullpen guys. So one of them's probably got to be used as a starter. I think if everyone's healthy in the rotation, the way that plays out is you end up having that guy be the sixth starter during that opening couple of series when you play eight games in eight days. The first off day is after the home opener against the Marlins. You get that Friday off and then play the rest of a weekend series. Cardinals will probably use that sixth starter and then they'll have to make a tough decision which could be moving the guy that wins the rotation job to the bullpen as long relief, keep him stretched out, but that's tough. It's going to be interesting. It's going to be interesting to see. I'll talk a little more bullpen in a minute because there is at least one guy that's been popping at camp that I want to mention. But let's talk about Thomas J.C. and more about the machinations because I think center field and shortstop are inextricably linked where what they do in one is going to have an impact on the other because the guy that you're saying is your everyday center fielder, for one, is not healthy enough to play in baseball games right now and, and do all of the things that would be necessary. Now he can track fly balls in center, and that's going to be valuable, but hitting is going to be a big part of it as well because he, as as much as it does matter what the guy does defensively, and you got to have someone with good range, that's what fits this pitching staff, which is still a little more pitch to contact than I think, especially in the rotation than I think maybe we, a lot of us thought it would be because you thought maybe they'd go out and get more strikeout guys. I think Lynn can be a strikeout guy. I think Sonny Gray, of course, can be. Michaelis is not going to be, uh, you know, he's just not, not relative to to what we're talking about when it comes to K's per nine. Kyle Gibson, not a huge strikeout guy either, which is fine. Like, I think as the back end of the rotation, he can really be serviceable. Steven Matz, like, we're going to have to wait and see what he is. I just think they're not quite to the point where you go, hey, swing and miss is the main thing here and defense can be secondary. No, I think the way they built it, defense has to be important. So it's why I would hesitate to be free and easy about moving Newt Barr between left and center. I think you keep him in left. But if you got Tommy Edmond and he's not ready, 
All right, that that's going to mean either the new part of center thing happens more often, as we talked about, or Dylan Carlson gets more run, or Victor something crazy happens and Victor Scott's on the team, right? But when it comes to shortstop, Edmund not being healthy, like Mason Wynn's going to have to hit first of all because that's what they're banking on. Like he's the he's the presumptive starting shortstop. If he has a bad spring, I still think he probably is that guy. If he struggles for a couple of weeks in spring and there's a there's a you know, veteran shortstop still out there. Those guys are coming off the board. Maybe the Cardinals go that route, or maybe they really start to get a look at Brendan Donovan and shortstop. Only Marmel saying, yeah, he's going to start at second base. We're going to get him comfortable back into the swing of things defensively. And then you're going to see probably him move around the diamond. And I bet shortstop is going to be included for Donovan. The reason I say that is not because of directly asking about it, but because I saw him there today. I mean, he was at shortstop in drills, doing fielding drills at, at times, um, shortstop is where he was. So I feel like that's certainly something that you can look for. And then Thomas to JC, it was asked of Ali Marmel this morning, what positions do you guys want to see him at? And they said, we kind of already know he's comfortable at second base. And so JC told me the same thing this afternoon. Second base is where he's most comfortable, but he's, he can, he can be comfortable everywhere. And that does include short. He said he's played shortstop all his life. It's just been sparingly compared to the other spots of second and third base that he's primarily gotten time in. And I looked, the numbers back that up this past year between the two double A teams that he played for in Texas and Springfield. And then the games that he played with Memphis, he had like 115 innings of shortstop out of like 1100 total defensive innings. So about 10% of his total innings came at shortstop. I don't know how good of a shortstop he is, but even if he's just serviceable, I think that would make a huge difference if his bat continues to progress the way that it has and the way that we saw it just leap off the page last year, that's a spot where Sejaci could suddenly be really interesting, not maybe to make the team out of spring. I mean, I think that could be the case, certainly depending on some of the other injuries, but like his utility for this roster during the season, if he's ripping up AAA and there's a needed shortstop, like they're going to try Donovan there. And if he's serviceable, great. But I think Sejaci's got the same opportunity. And, and we know Donovan is a gold glover having been a utility man. So like I imagine his shortstop defense might have a shot to be better than Sejaci's, but Sejaci was out there working with Ozzie Smith on the turf field yesterday after, after practice and workouts ended. So, you know, don't count this guy out. I think it's very interesting that, that all mentioned. And again, we might be overplaying it, but when he, when it's something that gets said, you want to make sure to talk about it. He said, he's going to play a little shortstop, not a ton. I don't think we should get carried away. But I think him being able to just show that utility and, and show the Cardinals, hey, I can handle it if that's something that's needed. Kind of like view it like a, like, I don't know, like a Ledmus Diaz toward the end where he came up as a shortstop in so much as he was a shortstop with the Cardinals when he arrived, but he kind of like wasn't as much in the minors. I think the young was kind of the same way. I could be speaking out of turn, but it was like they got to St. Louis and then suddenly like shortstop was their primary spot, whereas before they kind of bounced around. If, if, Donovan and or Sejaci can show that. I think it would go a long way toward you being able to feel a little bit better about the depth of shortstop behind a Mason win who has a career 150 average. Again, nobody thinks he's going to do that again this season. I think he's going to have a step forward and, and be really dynamic and at least kind of push for league average offensively and be great defensively. But like behind him, you've got a guy who you want to be your everyday center fielder. And as good of an athlete as Tommy Edmond is, he cannot play shortstop in center field in the same starting lineup. He's got to pick one. Cardinals have to pick one for him. And I think there's a lot of reason to like him in center field because of his range. 
I think the, the, the pitching staff could really use his range to their benefit. So that would mean, yeah. I mean, Mason Wynn's got to got to do the job, and if he can start 140 games at shortstop, and I'm not even going to use batting average, but if he can OPS plus 100, which is a league average, and start 140 games defensively and, and be what we think he can be on that front, the Cardinals are going to be in really good shape. But we don't know that for sure yet, and he could get hurt too. Like, having a backup plan is is important. So what's interesting to me about Thomas J.C., it's the bat for him that's going to and has propelled him onto prospect lists, and he's in the top 100 for Baseball America, Baseball Prospectus. Um, I don't believe he's on there for ESPN or MLB.com, but, I mean, two of the four big ones, he's considered a top 100 prospect in baseball. He had, like, a 1064 OPS with Springfield last year before coming up to Memphis, and, you know, had a handful, dozen of dozen games in Memphis. Not great numbers, but I'm not really paying too close attention to that. I think... Kind of like with Mason Wynn this past year, getting acclimated to the big league level, it can be difficult, and he only played like 13 games. So J.C.'s bat carries him to these prospect lists. His versatility defensively can be the thing that kind of opens up his opportunity to actually crack the roster. He's willing to try it at shortstop. I hope the Cardinals do give him the chance. I hope they play him a decent amount there. Like, again, he's played second. He's comfortable there. I, I know you want to get Mason a lot of time at shortstop. He's not going to play every game, every inning. I would love to see what it looks like for the. I mean, they're playing a split, a split squad game on Saturday. I guess Jose Fermin starts at shortstop in the other game, like Mason in one, Fermin in the other. And Donovan's not going to be starting at shortstop because all he said they're going to start him at second base early on and progress out from there. So JC started shortstop. I don't think that's very likely for his first game. So I'm guessing it has to be for me, unless I'm missing somebody. So kind of interesting there. Let me know what your thoughts are on the Cardinals' backup shortstop situation. I just am kind of fascinated by the idea that JC, if he hits, could end up really kind of playing a factor if he can also handle shortstop capably enough. Just to, you know, keep him keep him in it. Be able to mix in there a couple times every other week just to, to, to keep Mason Wynn fresh, like to that extent, I think... That would be fine. To say, is he going to be an everyday shortstop at the big league level? Probably not. But on this roster, he may not have to be. But they do have to have some coverage behind Mason Wynn. And speaking of Mason Wynn, that was the comp I gave Dolly Marmel this morning. I asked him, do you see some similarities? I said, not a perfect comparison. But are there some similarities between where Thomas the JC is right now in his progression, his timeline, and Mason Wynn a year ago at this time? And Ollie said, yeah, I could see some of the, the timeline similarities. Like, we don't have to get into it and say, well, defensive, you know, one's a shortstop, one likes the idea of of being asked to play shortstop. Like, not comparing it on those levels, but just in terms of, like, the timeline, Mason Wynn came into camp last year, and we pretty much knew, like, he's not going to make this team out of camp. Jordan Walker very well could, and he obviously did. But Mason Wynn can certainly leave an impression, make an impression, and leave a mark in the heads of the people that make decisions to where, like, hey, don't forget, I'm I'm coming. And Mason Wynn had exactly that type of spring. He had a 949 OPS last spring, hit the cover off the ball, really flashed defensively, and then, you know, was able to carry it into a good season in Memphis before he got the late season call-up. I think CJC is in a similar spot. And honestly, if not for the notion of Mason Wynn's Rookie of the Year candidacy, which they're they're hopeful for for 2024, obviously, or they wouldn't have handled him the way they did, I think they would have brought Wynn up even sooner last year but they wanted to kind of, and you're going to say that's gaming the service time. It's really not. 
it's it's only the new service time rules and the incentives on the rookie of the year stuff that gave Win a, a shot to play it all last year anyway. Because if it was under the old rules, teams would really want to gain the service time and you wouldn't see him until late April this year. So the new rules, I think that's an example of the new rules working on the service time stuff. But nevertheless, Mason Wynn got to play in the big leagues last year, but it started with the great camp that he had. I think Sejaci can be in that same boat. Now, granted, that's not me predicting he's going to 950 OPS in Grapefruit League play, but if he did, I think suddenly he's on a fast track to you're you're asking, you know, when, not if. And it maybe it is when, not if for Sejaci on the big league roster, but because he struggled a little bit at AAA at the end of last year, you still would like to see the bat um, continue to progress at those higher levels. Those are my thoughts on the shortstop stuff. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to leave you with this. Relievers popping at Cardinals camp. The first name is not the only name, but he's the main one that I, that I think I can confidently say based on just watching live BPs, which is there's not a lot that you can glean from on those. But just from that, like on the position player side, I've talked about Ivan Herrera. I think he's making an impression. I just notice the way he carries himself is impressive. On the relief pitcher side, to me, it is Riley O'Brien. I think he is the one that, uh, you know, I would say right now is going to make this team. Like, that would be my, I don't know if it's even a bold prediction. In one of my YouTube videos, I said, I don't know if it's a sneaky thing to say, but I think Riley O'Brien is on track to make the team. Keep in mind, I'm saying that before a single Grapefruit League game, which is where really the the date is going to pour in. But he's impressed at least so far. That could completely turn on a dime when you get him facing players from other teams, but the guys on this team seem to think he's nasty. Talked to Luke at Baker, and yeah, he was he was impressed by standing in the box against O'Brien, and it was not a comfortable at bat, is the way it the way it seemed. So Riley O'Brien, I don't have a lot else to add. I just think he's a guy that you guys should watch for sure when Grapefruit League play starts on Saturday. And I'll be intrigued to see how early and how often the Cardinals get him into games. Another name, uh, Wilking Rodriguez. Just don't forget about him because the Cardinals certainly didn't with the way that they set up the schedule. They had five fields of live BPs going. Like 20 pitchers, I guess, through. 1920, bunch of them. And one of them was Wilking Rodriguez, but it was against whom that was the most interesting aspect of it for him. He went against the top group of Cardinal hitters. Goldschmidt, Arenado. Jordan Walker was in that group. Wilson Contreras, I believe, was in that group when he wasn't catching Lance Lynn in the large new park. So I didn't get to watch the entire Wilking outing because I was kind of bouncing around. I got to take a look at uh, Ryan Lutis. Looking good. Um, checked out Nick Robertson, a couple different guys. Andre Granillo, like I was trying to make my way around. The guy standing out the most to me is Riley O'Brien. I'm just reporting to you the fact that, hey, Wilking did face the heavy hitters, and that's not done by accident. Ali Marmel said, look, we, we didn't get to see him last year, and so we want to take our veteran guys, or I guess Walker's not a veteran guy, but some of our top hitters, and get their feedback on how Wilking looks because he's he's on an NRI. He's not on the 40-man roster, but they liked him enough last year to take him as Rule 5, and then to keep him on the roster the entire year despite the fact that he was out for the year, basically, with with injury. And so they like, and, and he's not a younger guy either. I, I don't know if he's 31, 32, but he's a little bit on the older side, had had pitched successfully in the Mexican League, and Cardinals pulled him from there because they, they, or rather they tried to sign him for the Mexican League, 
Yankees ended up with him. The Cardinals got him on the Rule 5. And the Yankees ultimately, you know, they lose him because the Cardinals kept him on the the 40-man and the 26-man all last year. And then they, you know, DFA'd him and, and nobody picked him up, I guess. So, Wilkie Rodriguez, he's still around. Despite the fact that he's on an NRI, non-roster invitee, he was facing some of the heavy hitters today. So what do you think about that? And anything else that you want to know about from Cardinals camp, I really am trying to make my way around. Like I said, I saw Victor Santos a little bit today. Um, my mind is kind of spinning. I'm sure there are other arms that I saw but didn't mention. If you want to know about anyone specifically, ask in the comments, and I will be happy to try and tell you what I know if, if there is anything that I can re recall. But that is going to do it for this edition of the show. I'm really happy that we were able to get a, a robust podcast out for you guys. I'm going to try to keep it going the next couple of days. Um, always, I whether I have time, some might be longer podcasts than others. But thank you guys so much for listening and for hanging out and for watching the YouTube videos. And again, I want to plug KMOV.com slash sports. I wrote about the JC today. I wrote about Thompson Libby yesterday. Um, you know, Goldie, I think the day before that, been writing a ton of articles. Go read them. Help me out. Keep my bosses happy. And we'll keep uh, keep the covers rolling from Jupiter. Thank you guys so much for listening. That's going to do it for this edition of the show. Stay tuned to the YouTube channel, youtube.com slash at bshafer12. I will try to post some more of the live BPs that happened on Wednesday. I posted Lance Lynn's everything I had from him, but a lot of other guys through. I'll try to compile those and post them. So if you're wanting to know about some other pitchers that I didn't talk about, like Cooper Jerpy, just remembered I saw him today. Funky delivery. Good stuff. Look good. But I'm going to put some of those together. So make sure you subscribe on YouTube because that'll be probably the next video that I release probably in the morning on Thursday. So that really is it for the show. Thank you guys so much. And we'll talk to you next time on Be Shaved Daily. Peace.